No one would have believed that in the early years of the 21st century that this podcast was being listened to from the timeless worlds of the internet. No one could have dreamed that we were actually being listened to as someone with headphones hears hip-hop rhythms that swarm and multiply at high decibels. Few men even considered the possibility of life in the audience. And yet, across the Gulf of Northcote, minds immeasurably superior to ours regarded this podcast with envious ears. And slowly and surely, they drew their MP3s against us. disobeys the laws of physics, goes straight to prism. Daleks that experience dandruff yell at exfoliate! Exfoliate! (laughs) A canary that flies during storms is a thunderbird. (laughs) And the J.R.R. Tolkien tree that falls down a slope is a gradient. Uh, That's okay. (laughs) And we have a very special treat. To introduce our panellists for the episode, we have our scorekeeper, the HAL 9000. (laughs) Please give the HAL 9000 a round of applause. From the University of Tasmania, Launceston campus, representing Monsters, it's Scott McAteer. From the University of Adelaide, representing fairy tales, it's Vicky Kyriakakis. From the Charles Sturt University Wagga Wagga campus, representing heroes, it's Rob Lloyd. From the University of Melbourne, representing the history of cinema, it's Lee Zachariah. The rules of greater truth are simple. Points are awarded to the panellists for their responses to the uh, absurd questions, scenarios, and topics that I give. Whoever has the most points wins the coveted Grain of Truth prize, which this week is a captain's log. Oh. <laughs> yes. Ooh, missus. <laughs> 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 is it now, before we begin the quiz, here's a small challenge for everybody. Can you name the Grain of Truth that connects all four of our panellists' locations? Ooh. So that's Launceston, Adelaide, Wagga Wagga, and Melbourne. And we'll come to the answer at the end. But we'll start with round one, which is called Right Said Ted. Each panellist must deliver a 90-second Ted-style presentation relating to a theme. At the 60-second mark, they'll hear this noise. 
And at the 90-second mark, they'll hear this noise, at which they must wrap up their talk. Whoever uses their special skills to present on the theme the best gets the points. Uh, so the theme of this TED presentation, uh, rather obviously, was science fiction. So we'll start with Scott McAteer, representing Monsters, to talk about the topic of science fiction. Uh, Scott, your time begins now. Okay, now most people will probably agree that the 1950s was the golden age of monsters in sci-fi, but there's been a lot of monsters since then, so I would like, if I may to provide you with a bit of a tribute to the monsters that came after the year 1975. Sigourney Weaver felt worst when John Hurt's chest burst, but in space, she didn't scream. Flash Gordon returned, now with ball worms. Robert Englund was the man of your dreams. Then things got uncool between Bill Murray and Zool, and <laughs> busting her meant crossing streams. So listen to what's said by the returned living dead. They've got them some wonderful schemes, like a uh, science fiction <laughs> double feature. <laughs> OCP will build a creature. See androids led by Rutger Hauer. Dolph Lundgren fights for Grayskull's power. <laughs> At the late night, double feature, picture show. I know George Lucas got shit for the Sarlacc pit. A vagina that bites with teeth when it feeds. <laughs> and it doesn't get better than to see Schwarzenegger fight a predator that glows when it bleeds. Then there was a problemo for poor old Sharknado. He had to deal with a crazed Tara Reid. But in a dark city, no one saw it. What a pity. Richard O'Brien still feels our needs for a science fiction double feature picture show. He was on time. Oh, Scott McAteer was on time. time. <laughs> and that, ladies and gentlemen, brings about the end of the world. <laughs> I want to talk to uh, ask the panel this particular question. In your childhood, either watching from television or reading books, was there a particular monster that was most terrifying to you? Uh, the thing I think the only thing from well, at least classic Doctor Who that scared me a lot were the Autons bursting out of the windows from the first John Pertwee story. But I'm wondering if there's other people who had terrifying monsters of your time. Scott. I did, yeah. It was the, the Chad Mock from the Monster Club. Um, I don't even know what any of those words are. <laughs> Monster Club is a very obscure movie. It's got Vincent Price and I think Peter Laurie. It's an anthology film. And there's just the Chad Mock, which uh, it just whistles. And it pretty much destroys your face and turns you into a Chad Mock too. Oh, good Lord. Uh, Rob, you're about to play. Yeah, mine were the aliens from uh, Sesame Street. They freaked me out as a kid. And the worst part was there was one where there was the telephone ringing and they were outside. And I went, well, that's okay. That's okay. I'll be safe inside. I'll be safe inside. What happens? They could go through walls. They scared the hell out of me. That is so cute. That's something for your upcoming child to be terrified <laughs> in the years. Yep, 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 yep. those guys. Uh, how about you, Vicky? Did you have that terrifying uh, monster of your childhood? You know, I wasn't a big one for being scared of monsters. Like, I, I didn't like the rancor. It mm. was too salivate and salivary. Mm. But I also felt quite sorry for it. Yeah. Mm. Particularly that little sound that it makes at the end where it kind of dies and it gets his little head chopped oh, off and it just goes... Mm. 
And when the Rancor Keeper comes out and he's like topless and he's crying. In one of the comics, the Rancors sing poetry to other Rancors. They've got like a Oh God, that's even more sad. See? Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. That's what he's always trying to do. He's just trying to pick up Luke and do a dirty limerick. Rancor rights. Rancor rights. Oh dear! Is, this, Rob? is that how Rancor's talk? <laughs> yes, there once was an alien from Enos. <laughs> Very drunk oh, Irishman. Don't, don't put the stick, don't put the, the bone in my mouth. Or I'll just come back here. Uh, Lee, did you ever have a terrifying monster of your childhood? Yeah, I uh, couldn't actually go in a swimming pool while the pool cleaner was active, the automatic one, oh, because yeah. of Paradise Tower. Oh! And then but I rewatched Paradise Towers as an adult and thought, you're not cleaning that pool at all. It's still filthy. <laughs> and uh, that apparently got me over it. <laughs> <laughs> I like the fact that if the monster is not fulfilling its job criteria, yeah. its key selection criteria, in order to get no its position... It's just not functional. <laughs> it's just not functional. See, I just picture one day you, you, you're in a swimming pool, over your feet, swimming around with a pool cleaner, and then you notice that the pool's actually quite dirty. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Bottom... <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for bringing the fear back. That's, that's, that's great. All that is undone. Uh, to next speak on the topic of science fiction is Vicky Kiriakakis representing fairy tales. Uh, Vicky, your time, as it were, starts then. Yes, hello. So this isn't going to be funny. Just, I just <laughs> genuinely, I want to prepare you up front. Like, Star Wars is a fairy tale. I, I don't know if anyone has ever noticed this before, but it kind of is, right? So fairy tales have some common elements. Like, they all start with once upon a time. Uh, they're generally set in the distant past, right? And we don't think of science fiction. Science fiction is future set, but Star Wars starts with a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. So we're already setting it in the distant past. Uh, science, uh, fairy tales usually involve some sort of fantastical, magical elements, some unexplainable forces. Force, right? The force. Jedi's, gen- what, they're the wizards of Star Wars, are they not? Uh, there's usually a clearly defined sense of good and evil, and in Star Wars we have that very, very clearly. We've got the good side of the Force and the bad side of the Force. You've got the Rebels uh, and the Empire. Uh, you've got um, Chewbacca and, and Ewoks. <laughs> uh, fairy tales often involve royalty, and we've got Princess Leia there to fill that that gap. There are often wizards in fairy tales and Obi-Wan Kenobi could be said to be a wizard. He's got the flappy wizard sleeves that come along with that job description. Often in fairy tales people have to leave home or there's a destruction of the home that takes place and of course Luke has to leave home and leaves Tatooine to go on his adventure and is anyone else a little bit bugged by the fact that his parental figures die and Luke's like yeah, okay, or well, whatever. I'm moving along. But like some dude he met for like five minutes he really cares about. Anyway, just me. Sorry, uh, lots more, lots more. Uh, there are tasks to be performed, uh, and so we have the destruction of the Death Star and the rescue of Princess Leia and uh, the defeat of the Empire. Usually there are three attempts made to perform these tasks, and so you have, uh, if you think at the end, uh, first attempt, they lose Tyree, lose Dutch, they came from behind. Second attempt... Uh, um, what's the second attempt? Hang a second, I've wrote it down somewhere. Is it Porkins? Por- Porkins. 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 No, 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 second attempt is it just uh, deflected on the surface. Just oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And the third attempt, Han Solo blows, blows them away and, uh, and leaves free for Luke to achieve his thing. Happy endings, even R2 survives mm. towards the end and everyone, everyone has champagne. Although, if it was an original fairy tale, maybe R2 would have burnt everyone to a cinder and then just yeah. kind of laughed and beeped maniacally <laughs> to himself. <laughs> 
Maybe he did. Maybe that's what happened Maybe to Aunt Peru and Uncle actually what Lord. happened afterwards. Uh, and finally, rewards, medals. Although, does anyone else think that Han Solo just didn't really quite do quite enough to earn that medal and the wink at the end of Star Wars? Is that just me? I'm thinking if Han got one, Chewie should have got one too. Chewie totally should have got he one. Just Chewie just goes, like, Aww. that's all right. I'm just a dude with wearing bullets and no pants. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Mickey Gary Carcass. Sorry, I totally blew my... I did that. That, that was double time. That is perfectly fine. Well, in that case, to make that up, uh, I would like to actually ask the panel, uh, so ignoring sort of spectacle or special effects or that sort of thing, is there a favourite sci-fi idea, uh, an idea portrayed in a sci-fi story or film, or just a, a favourite story that you had? Um, I've always quite liked, uh, I know it's not quite sci-fi, but I do like the ideas in Vonnegut's Breakfast of Champions, but also um, there's a lot like, that's why I've always been a classic fan of classic Doctor Who, because there was also some really wonderful ideas. I love these, and the I've never read the original story of Paradise Tales, where it was based from, but it was one of my favourite oh, things. High Rise. Yeah, High Rise. By J.G. Ballard. Mm. Uh, soon to be a film with Tom Hiddleston. Oh. Fun fact. Uh, Vicky, did you have I a favourite story at all? I, I like, I've, I've always loved Ursula Le Guin's um, Left Hand of Darkness. And mm. just the, like, I love the fact that she, she takes science fiction and she goes, I'm not, it's not just going to be playing with toys. I'm actually going to explore how, how culture would, like, you know, spring up out of that. So yeah. what if we just threw everything up in the air and we went, you know, culture looks different, gender looks different. You know, how do people interrelate with the technology? Like, I love that sh- That's, for me, taking science fiction to its obvious conclusions. Cool. Has anyone else on the panel got a favourite story um, or idea, sci-fi concept? I quite like the uh, total perspective vortex from The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh, <laughs> Something that, just to bring you down a peg, you will see uh, the scale of creation and h- how you relate to it. And that, that drives you insane, unless uh, you're Zaphod Beeblebrox, mm. who comes out going, yeah, it just told me what I knew all along. I'm pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, our next speaker to uh, speak on the topic is Rob Lloyd, representing Heroes, to present on the theme of science fiction. Rob, your time starts now. I'm going to do my top five science fiction heroes that aren't Doctor Who. Uh, <laughs> number five, Robocop. Yes, Alex Murphy. Uh, yes, he has the big guns. He's a big robotic creature that has all the power. What makes, what makes him amazing and incredible is his humanity and his ability for humanity to fight through all the advancements of technology. Next up, Cornelius from the Planet of the Apes series, played <laughs> by one of my favorite actors of all time, Roddy McDowell, this scrawny little British actor who went on to be a superstar of science fiction movies, who had brains and intelligence and sacrificed himself so that Caesar, his son, could live on. Uh, next up is Odo from... Uh, my favourite franchise of Star Trek, uh, Deep Space Nine. I don't care. Who was some Deep Space Nine lovers? <laughs> Good. There's... Wow. Let's seriously. Let's get together and make out because I've never met, never met that many fans of it. Uh, played by Rene Bourgeois, one of my favourite actors of all time, who can change shape and form. Uh, needed to find his identity. When he found out, his entire race was sort of like overlords and treated people like crap. And he. Uh, worked to actually make them better people, which was brilliant. Next up is Ellen Ripley from the Alien franchise, because she's just incredible. And last but definitely not least, Princess Leia, because uh, I Woo-hoo! first yeah first met her at a time where I didn't get that sexual awakening from her. A lot of people older than me did. For me, she was just the coolest character in the world and the coolest girl in the world I just wanted to hang out with. I was going to say uh, she's the sister I always wanted, but seeing she <laughs> made out so much with Luke, probably not so. But I am from a country town. So, uh, so yeah, they're my top five uh, heroes that aren't the Doctor. Big round of applause, Rob Lloyd. Rob, um, sorry, I was, I was actually quite surprised that uh, you didn't include the Doctor. 
Yeah, because I just said the top five characters no. didn't include the Doctor. No, because I know you, and despite that caveat, <laughs> I wouldn't have thought that would stop you. I could have fit in Peter Cushing. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Great of Ooer. <laughs> the Ooer of Truth. Uh, it's, it's our carry-on version. Um, oh, just imagine that scene in Star Wars when all, they, all the Empire guys are surrounded <laughs> around there as a carry-on film. <laughs> this force is now the ultimate power in the universe. <laughs> I suggest we use it. Oh. Anyway, there's some really funny visuals. Jim James is the voice of Darth Vader. Look, I am your father. Kenneth Williams as Grand Moff Tarkin made it so much better. Oh, Prince of Oh, that's a big one right there. Oh, I've got to use my big gun now. Let's blow it up. Our final speaker is Lee Zachariah, representing the history of cinema, to present on the theme of science fiction. Lee, your time begins now. Science fiction is about ideas. This is a mistake a lot of people make. (laughs) And one I think it's time to correct, because science fiction is about two things. One, having laser sword battles against guys with bits of latex stuck to their forehead before you fly your stolen spaceship through an even bigger spaceship and upload (laughs) your computer virus to the alien's mainframe in a frankly piss-poor interpretation of the ending of War of the Worlds. Yes, I'm looking at you, Independence Day. (laughs) But the point is that cinema uses the absurd, impossible worlds of science fiction as a marker of what it can achieve. So what's the other thing it's about? It's about what we're afraid of. In the 1950s, we were afraid of communists, so we made Destination Moon an invasion of body snatchers. In the 1980s, we were afraid of corporations taking over, so we made Blade Runner in Brazil. And in the 21st century, we're afraid of the world ending, which is why the world comes crashing down in every science fiction film, superhero movie, fantasy, romantic comedy, art house drama, mumblecore dramedy, and so on and so on. (laughs) Why does this happen? How do these innermost fears get exposed like this at the movies? Imagine, if you will, a film production. You have about two years to make a film, and roughly none of that is devoted to writing the script. You've got a producer yelling at the writer to write the script because they've got a movie star signed and a director ready to go. So the writer thinks, oh, quick, what am I afraid of? Uh, Terrorists, global warming, spiders? And two weeks later, Chris Pratt is fighting an extremist tarantula on the Pacific Desert. It's a green screen, but Pratt's a great actor. He really takes us there, you know? So in conclusion, I am correct. (laughs) (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, Lisa Carroll! A question for the panel, but we'll start with Lee. I I want to know if there was someone in particular who introduced you to science fiction, or how did you first come about this crazy genre world? Oh, there are so many origin stories, but the one that sticks out in my mind (laughs) is the only childhood rule I remember. My parents assure me there were many others. This is the only one I remember. I was never allowed to watch 2001 on the small screen. So there were many trips to the cinema whenever it was on. Right. I was not allowed to watch it when it was on TV. That's That's very good. Uh, What about you, Scott? How were you introduced to science fiction? Well, there's this story that I don't actually remember that my mother tells that... um, when I was little, uh, Doctor Who was on, and I believe from the description that she gives, it was probably Planet of Evil. And apparently I just was doing my little boy stuff, going, la, 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 walked past the TV, <laughs> and just was captivated for, like, uh, the full sort of half an hour. And then it ended, and I just started screaming and screaming <laughs> and screaming in terror. <laughs> That's a, although I, I imagine that your childhood voice is still your same voice now. Exactly the same voice. <laughs> it is, it is. I've worked with him for the last <laughs> seven months. Oh, really? <laughs> you want to do something? La, la, la. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for me, it was my dad. It was my dad. Um, and he, like, 
introduced me to all the cool sci-fi stuff and classic sci-fi stuff as well. But he was always a w way of, like, he enabled me as well because I wasn't allowed to stay up late and there was a show I adored as a kid, V. Um, oh. And I wasn't allowed to watch, I could only watch the first half and then I had to go to bed. So every morning I'd barge in while my dad's having a shower first thing in the morning. Go, Dad, tell me the rest of V. I need to shower, son. No, tell me right now. <laughs> tell me everything right now. Okay, well, uh, Diana ate a, a rat. That's all I need to know. Bang. Yeah. <laughs> so he enabled me and kept me going with sci-fi. Cool. What about you, yeah. Vicky? Mine was my parents as well. We mm. had like, th like three favourite kind of shows. One of them was Yes, Minister. Mm. Uh, but the other two were like Star Trek, um, and the original Star Trek and like Doctor Who back yeah. when the, fourth, yeah. the third and fourth Doctors were, yeah. were up. So like, yeah, we just, that was, yeah. For me, it, for me, it was finding videos of the five Doctors. That's what got me into science fiction uh, on VHS. Uh, and being freaked out by incidental music. So none of the monsters <laughs> or any of the special effects, it was incidental music that freaked me Let, out. Let's see if that still works. Yeah. Doo -doo -doo. <laughs> it does. Oh, wait, 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 let's see if this works. That, that's meaningless to most people yeah. in this room. That is Rob's impression of... <laughs> <laughs> of a 1973 Doctor Who episode, uh, uh, I believe, incidental music right by Kerry Blyton. Yep. And we have just got more wanker points. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, now, uh, it's the end of the round, so it's now time for a score update from Hal. What can you tell us, Hal? Thank you, Dave. Just a minute. Just a minute. According to the Grain of Truth Sarlacc pit, Scott McAteer <laughs> is in the lead by a protruding tentacle... At least it's not a CGI beak. Yeah, a CGI beak. That's that, weird. No one wants that. That's, no. that's worth minus three points. Uh, so now it's time for the analysis and application round. Our panel is divided into teams of two, and they must apply their skills to an application task. We're going to start with Scott and Vicky. And I'm challenging you to take these otherwise genre television shows and films and adapt them into sci-fi epics. Okay, so these are going to be absolutely sure. sci-fi epics. I want to start with uh, Murder on the Orient Express, oh, if I can, please. Oh, I don't know much about Murder on the Orient Express. Okay, so what we got sure. is we got a spaceship going to the planet Orient. <laughs> we'll call it yes. Orienton. <laughs> and and uh, the Orientongians are, are all like these octopusy. Yeah, they're these octopusy things, and it sort of crashes into uh, the Orientani <laughs> yes, uh, and world. And one of the Orientonians get get smushed, 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 murdered, murdered. And they have to find out who did it. It's yeah. going to be epic. And then there's a, there's a robot. No, wait. There's a robot detective. Yeah, the robot really, detective. really, good, except he's got one glitch. Oh and that's the twist at the end, is yeah. it turns out that the people on the spaceship reprogrammed the robot detective to murder the To murder the octopus! <laughs> it's going to be epic. It's going to be epic. Uh, epic. Fantastic. And finally, uh, what about the, uh, the sci-fi epic uh, based on Are You Being Served? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh yes, this is this this is kind of like a, what a, like a Hitchcock's Guide to the Galaxy yeah, kind of yeah, yeah. kind of so, deal. So, so basically, they're selling spacesuits. Yes, spacesuits. <laughs> they're sp selling spacesuits. There's space the suits. there's the the weird uh, Orionish woman with the pink. That's hair. That's right. She's got pink hair, uh, which is just a mound of tentacles. <laughs> yes, uh, right. And she's got a vicious space cat that is loose <laughs> in the <laughs> building, and she's going. Has anyone seen my pussy? <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Scott and Vicky. <laughs> 
I, I can't. I can't do it better. You than missed. That. You missed a prime example. There's a slightly effeminate robot that is programmed <laughs> and is trying to break the program every <laughs> single time. And at the end yes. of the episode, it breaks the program. They go, "Are you free?" And it goes, "I'm, I'm free." free. <laughs> we can't do that. Lucas will sue. It's too much like three PO. <laughs> <laughs> also, I'd like to rewrite all of Agatha Christie's stories to feature the robot Poir Robot. That's why Lee Zachariah gets paid the big bucks. Yeah. Uh, cool. Well, the next... Uh, <laughs> oh, is that splendid? Oh, that's some, that's, that's, a thing. that's, that's a thing. some stuff that happened. That is <laughs> <laughs> I'm just moving on. There we go. I'm just <laughs> effective and uh, such. Uh, Robin Lee, I'll be challenging you to describe the story or scenario that would be a sci-fi equivalent of these world events. So it's a political parody, it's a, a world event that's recently happened, but as if it was a big sci-fi epic. Yes. And the one I'd like you to look at is the Eurovision Song Contest. <laughs> oh. So the Eurovision Song Contest as if it was a big sci-fi equivalent story. Okay, so we open on the uh, Galactivision Ultra Song Contest <laughs> in space. Yes. It ha- and the in space is on the end. In space. And they've just <laughs> let a, a new planet in uh, even though it doesn't exist in, in the galaxy, it's a planet from outside the galaxy. Yeah, it's, it's been paying attention to this contest for about 30 years. And yeah. They're a really fanatical subculture. And there's no real reason for it to be involved, but it is. And, and we ta- yeah, they take it as a celebration while everyone else sees it as a bit patronizing. Yes. Yes. Um, I like that. But we make it a bit more, I think we make it a bit more Hunger Games as well. Mm. If you don't get a certain amount of points, your entire system is destroyed. <gasps> oh, oh. And Jeez. maybe the contest is split into two parts, and you have to wait a year to see the second goddamn part. <laughs> <laughs> that was my takeaway from the Hunger Games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Ladies and gentlemen, Robert Lee! Uh, well, that's the end of the round, so it's over to Hal for the scores. Hal, what can you tell us? Thank you, David. According to the Grain of Truth TARDIS, Lee Zechariah is in the lead by handling the helmet regulator. He handles it so well. So the next round is called Stumble, Mumble, or Bumble. I'll be assigning a topic to each player, and they must speak for 45 seconds without stumbling, mumbling, or bumbling. Should they do this, or they ramble, or repeat themselves, the other players must ding in and take over the topic, because whoever is speaking... Are you, are you <laughs> calling me up for rambling? No. Oh, you're just testing. Oh, good, lovely. I'm um, helping. Whoever is speaking at the end of time gets the points. Uh, they can re- At the end of time. <laughs> end of time. I've I believe that's how this show works. It keeps going until the end of time. <laughs> We're at that point where you're locked in a cabin and you knock four times yeah. and I'm there just being really, really self-indulgent. Yeah. I can't wait for him to move on. Ah, <laughs> reference. <laughs> so they may repeat the topic however much they like. So Scott, you're mm-hmm. first. and um, So anyone can ding in if you feel that there's been a stumble, mumble or a bumble there. Uh, your topic is My Housemate Cthulhu. <gasps> so my the topic housemate. is My Housemate Cthulhu. Your time begins now. He's always on the phone. I go, what's this call, Cthulhu? Hey, hey, hey. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Leaving his tentacles all over the place. Boats, he keeps smashing them. I don't have a lot of boats, but, you know, he keeps smashing them. And then I went in his... Oh, yes, that's repetition. That is repetition. (laughs) That is uh, a bit of a uh, stumble there. Uh, We're going to continue on uh, with Rob Lloyd with the topic, My Housemate Cthulhu. Continue on with Rob Lloyd. Sure, he's an eternal beast monster, but he loves art and craft. (laughs) Some would say he loves craft. Oh... (laughs) (laughs) 
Counting is so bad. But I, uh, I can and I have. <laughs> uh, I'm going to let you continue, Rob, for punishment. Uh, continue. Oh, then, uh, Thank you uh, so much. Uh, Lee, you're continuing on with my housemate Cthulhu. Continue on. You've just got under 20 seconds. Look, I love living with the guy, but frankly, the place that we had to find that would house both of us is enormous, and we're paying 50-50 rent. Now, <laughs> this is a problem because my room is the size of a room, and his room is the size of the solar system. And I think that we should uh, have thought this through before we started. <laughs> okay, at the end of time. So we're continuing on with Vicky. Uh, your topic is Tatooine, an examination of society. Ooh. Tatooine, an examination of society. That is your topic. You've got 45 seconds starting now. Yes, look, part of the problem with society in Tatooine is, of course, that everyone lives really, really, really far away from each other. So one could almost say that there is no society as such in Tatooine. And what community and society there is tends to be conglomerated around... I don't even know if conglomerated is a word. Tends oh, to be yes, there's a stumble there. I've got to continue there. Uh, I just couldn't let my, that pass <laughs> by yeah. myself. That's fair. Uh, Rob, you've got 25 seconds. Continuing on with Tatooine, an examination of society. Tatooine has spaceports on it that are described as wretched hives of scum and villainy. How many suburbs have we been to <laughs> that fit that description? Yes, Tatooine represents not only our society on the outside, but within. Within, we are mixed. Oh, uh, Scott, what are you interrupting for? I live somewhere nice. <laughs> <laughs> That's Let's a reasonable argument. We're going to continue on for eight and a bit seconds okay, uh, with uh, Scott <laughs> McAteer on Tatooine, an examination of society. Okay, I just want to point out a nerd theory about Tatooine, okay? In the prequels, there are slaves everywhere, and Anakin Skywalker says... Oh, I'm uh, yeah, sorry. Oh, yes. Men mention the prequels. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> this is important. Uh, this is important. I will argue he did mention the prequels. I'm going to go with one and a bit seconds left. It's over to uh, Lee. Moisture farms. <laughs> hey, that's the end of the time. I love Lee. Now, next one, Rob, you need to talk on 45 seconds on your topic is the TARDIS. Your topic is the TARDIS. You have 45 seconds starting now. The TARDIS is the greatest creation in the history of science fiction. Not only does it travel through time, but it travels through space, solving the problem of you going forward 100 years and being in the exact same spot. You can go to any country, any city, any world you wish. It is infinite. There are swimming pools. There are libraries inside the swimming oh, pools. Oh, yes. Uh, Scott, what's your interruption for? I just want to point out that they jettisoned the pool in Castro Valve, That's I believe true. They did jettison the pool in Castro Valve. I cannot believe uh, what nerds I'm on the panel with. But it came back for the 11th I am hour. sorry, but I will go with Scott. He d I will uh, mention that. You I can't ding him back. No, you cannot. No, you can't ding a ding. How 1984 is this, big <laughs> brother? <laughs> that, that's, be that's because we're in a state of temporal grace, right? That's is exactly that, yeah. right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Continue ding, on yeah. with Scott. You've got uh, 20, 24 seconds to go. Uh, continue on about the topic of the TARDIS. Now, it's interesting that Rob mentioned 1984 because in 1983, of course, we got the... Um, pyramid-shaped console, which uh, was introduced in The Five Doctors, but is actually referenced in the novel The Crystal Bucephalus as being built because the original console that was being used was destroyed. And the TARDIS was nearly completely destroyed in that novel, which features Chameleon, who lived in the TARDIS and... Oh, was well, yes, what's the interruption for? You mentioned Chameleon. <laughs> That's true. With 1.02 seconds, Rob, on the TARDIS. No one plays the lute anymore. Yeah, <laughs> round of applause! Yeah, round of applause. Oh, 
There's I've an been, unbelievable uh, amount of nerditure on this uh, I, It's great of truth, dear. Um, <laughs> but as I meant to say, I've been, I have been in com- uh, conversations at uh, uh, conventions that sound a lot like us. Uh, <laughs> and finally, uh, Lee, your topic is, for 45 seconds, did you ever see that B-grade sci-fi film? That is your topic. <laughs> did you ever see that B-grade sci-fi film? Continue, uh, starting right now, Lee Zachariah. Did you ever see that B-grade sci-fi film? Probably not, because, you know, I stayed up late. I had SBS on. I had nothing else to do. We didn't have a VCR back then. And the wonders that we saw, not actually wonders, they were actually pretty terrible. And you had to use your imagination. But I was young and I had imagination. And, <laughs> they, no. <laughs> oh, yes, uh, Vicky, uh, there was a, definitely a stumble there. I'm going to continue on, uh, Vicky, with the topic. Did you ever see that B-grade sci-fi film? Okay, I don't know the name of this film, but if someone could tell me what mm. it is. It's the one that Carrie Fisher is in, and it's sci-fi, and she's sort of post-Star Wars. Do you guys, is anyone ringing a bell with this? Is and it she's the like Australian a one with Tom Burlington? I don't know. It's really driving me crazy, though. She was in this really, really bad science fiction film she plays she's got she's all in all leathers and she's got like her hair is a bit Jedi? of ponytail and long and she's kind of like i don't know even no. if you said the name to me i wouldn't actually know so and yes, that's the end of the car so well done vicky <laughs> she distracted us with the, the nurse going, oh what is it oh, no. oh she won <laughs> and she even gave us an in she said is this ringing a bell and we didn't even think <laughs> That was some mind game zen. <laughs> well, that's the end of the round, so it's over to Hal uh, to give us a score update. Hal. Thank you, David. According to the Grain of Truth Planet Express Company, Vicky Kyriakakis is in the lead because she has Zoidberg. You all have Zoidberg! <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you. Passing <laughs> uh, applause. Uh, yes. uh, just we've come to the part of Great of Truth where we've only got the golfers who come in. Uh, <laughs> we pause. Well done, well done, everyone on that one. Uh, before but they, they, but you know which episode of Star Wars is their favourite one? Which one? Four. <laughs> oh. I deserve that. Yeah. Uh, before we find out who won today's show, it's our time to reveal the answer to our Grain of Truth Connection mm. Challenge. Firstly, did anyone on the panel get the connection between your locations, Launceston, Adelaide, Wagga Wagga, and Melbourne? They're all in Australia. Yes, oh. that's uh, very good. All s- sci-fi films were filmed there? Uh, not all sci-fi films, but yes, I think I will give you the points. Are all Ooh, sci-fi related. So, round of applause to Rob Lloyd. Um, but it's, uh, just to explain all the connections, uh, the self-published novel, Gravity Quest, was written by the Reverend Launceston P. Holsworthy, it has 126 pages and features a planet just gliding into our solar system because it can. Uh, <laughs> it costs $14 Australian to buy. Uh, Incident at Raven's Gate is a science fiction art house feature film directed by Rolf de Heer, which uh, he was also responsible for uh, Bad Boy Bubba, I seem to recall. Uh, filmed in Adelaide, and essentially it's a story where, a, you know, it's a classic story of a hydroponicist who's trying to improve <laughs> farming practices. His brother is flirting with the hydroponicist's wife. And then aliens happen. Yeah. <laughs> um, many sci-fi fil- and TV shows are filmed in Melbourne, Docklands, including uh, Predestination, which was mentioned in the Herald Sun as being one of the best Australian films of 2014. Yeah, I hadn't heard of it either. Uh, Predestination? Yeah. That's a great film. Is it? Yes, people should watch it. It's oh, good. Yeah, Thank you for, for confirming the Herald Sun. Sorry, yes. Do, well, do you feel dirty now? <laughs> I do. I feel filthy. Thank you very much. Um, there's a possible uh, crowdfunded uh, theatrical adaptation of Invasion of the Body Stat- Snatchers as a one-man show, planning to make a tour in Wagga Wagga soon. Ooh. Yeah, it's been directed by my friend Peter Cox, who uh, wrote the script for my first ever uh, adventure into 
scripted comedy. Oh. And look, it's a bonus connection because uh, I wasn't you know, overly happy with the world going, but in Rob's hometown of Dubbo, at the Dubbo Observatory, they have Doctor Who mini golf. So they do. What? <laughs> I did not know this. Uh, I'm going right now. Oh, I found out what that movie was, Vicky. What was oh, it? yes. It's called The Time Guardian. Oh. Right. Oh. In the distant future, the human race nears extinction, extinction and a new race of beast-like creatures rule the earth. The few surviving people live in the city, a huge protected construction with the ability to travel in both space and time. And it stars Tom Berlinson, because it was filmed in Australia, oh. uh, Dean Stockwell. As well. And um, yes, it's action, romance, sci fi, and thriller. The tagline pray he's not too late. (laughs) I like the fact that I I like where people can repeat the names of actors as if, you know, know all the answer. Oh, Tom Berlinson. That guy. guy. Uh, Well, things. He does things. He was in that thing that I saw one with a horse. I should see it again. He was in uh, Major League, wasn't he? Tom Berlinson. Is that the one? That's Tom Berenger. Tom Berlinson was the man from Snowy River. Oh, yes, the no, guy with the horses. Tom Selleck. Tom Selleck. Not Magnum P.I., right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is that right? And he was the voice of Frank Sinatra. Is he the moustache guy? I th- I th- isn't he that really tiny person that fits in a hand? No, I think that's Tom Thumb. Oh, I, right, Tom okay. Thumb. I thought but he was he the fourth doctor. <laughs> no, no, no. That's, uh, <laughs> that's Colin Baker. <laughs> oh, I see. Uh, so now <laughs> it's the end of the show. So how could you finally tell us, determine from your working out, who has won the captain's log? <laughs> I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Uh, <gasps> Hal, I need you to find out who is the winner of today's show. Pour champagne on him. As I said, I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. I'm going to have to go into your circuitry. I'm afraid. <laughs> Look, you're going to tell me who won today's... I'm afraid. Oh, I've got your, uh, your auxiliary Skittles. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm, that's the, I'm uh, sorry, Dave. Uh, Jesus I'm afraid Christ. I can't tell you who won. Okay, tell me who won. I'm going to have to take you apart. I'm, I'm, I'm afraid. <laughs> I'm going to have to take I'm you apart, afraid. Hal. Please, tell me. Tell me more about your programming, I'm Hal. Afraid. Hello, my name is Hal 9000. My programmer taught me a song. Would you like to hear it? Yes, I would, Hal. Tell me. Tell me what did your programmer tell you to sing? I know what boys like. <laughs> I know what guys want. I know what boys like. Boys like. Boys like. Well, I'm going to have to use the backup hell mechanism. Today's winner is, of course, Lee Zachariah. So, Lee Zachariah, today's winner. Can I have some auxiliary skills, yes, please? Do you want to take the carcass of Hal? <laughs> there we go. So really sad that he's <laughs> There you go. It's just like the uh, end of Electric Dream. Um, yes. Uh, Lee, what are you going to do with your captain's log? Uh, probably drop it. <laughs> That's hey. a very good point. Yeah. Well, is that weird? <laughs> no, it is not. Uh, well, <laughs> now... <clears throat> we all like a bit of captain's log. We do. Right. Do we right. ever? That's the end of the program, and I hope you enjoyed it. You can come and see the recording on the first day of the month at 1pm at the Wesleyan. Our website is www.creativetruth.com. Follow us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Creative Truth Show, and on Twitter at Creative Truths. And now allows me to thank our panel Scott McAteer, Vicky Kurikakis, Rob Lloyd, Lee Zachariah, Hal 9000, was played by John Franklin of Frankly Bizarre Studios. Dream uh, music was composed and erased by Matthew Hangrop. I love Tom Markovic. properties and official
this was an exalt an auxiliary Skittles bypass production. <laughs>